Welcome to Paul Mort Talk Shit. Curious fellow, but I like him. Paul Mort Talk Shit. Paul Mort Talk Shit. Paul Mort Talk Shit. He's a shady character. What's his name? Yes, yes, yes. Welcome to another episode of Paul Mort Talk Shit. Just a big shout out to my main sponsor, who are performance food manufacturer Precision Prep. UK. I've been using these guys for the last uh, few months. And listen, let me tell you something. These guys know how to put meal prep together. They are um, bang on. Like, I'm not going to rap too much about it, but trust me, I've tried a lot of meal prep, meal delivery companies in the past. And these guys are legit. Frozen, take it out the freezer, Throw them in the microwave. Seven, eight minutes later, you've got a sick, healthy, nutritious meal. All the macros and calories counted for you. So listen, I've managed to do a little deal with them for you. Use the code PAULMORT at checkout and you'll get 20 quid off when you spend just 80 quid. Trust me. Let me know what you think. It's precisionprep.uk. This episode is uh, a bit of a weird one. Well, not a weird one. It's actually incredible because... This episode is with a guy who was my first ever coach. Almost 16 years ago, I met this guy. And for one reason or another, I've actually only seen him once. This is the second time I've seen him in like seven years. So we had an incredible conversation. We talked about how Dax Moy, our guest, um, stabbed his dad in the heart when he was 15 years old. The result of that, why that happened. We talked about horrendous PTSD because Dax was in the tsunami in Thailand on Boxing Day when it happened. Saved lives, had dead babies dying in his arms. Honestly, this thing is fucking explosive. And this is also producer Mark's favorite episode. So I'm sure that you're going to absolutely love this one. Welcome to uh, another episode of Paul Mort Talks Shit, and today I am talking shit with Mr. Dax Moy. Dax, how are you? Excellent, mate. Really looking forward to it. Me, me too. You know what's <laughs> mad about this conversation is, and I've already done the intro here, but I've known Dax for about 15 years, and I've seen him maybe once in the last seven, which is Ridiculous. mad. So this is not even a, this is not even an interview. This is a legit catch up that you have the privilege privilege of listening to. So we're going to be talking about things that you may not um, have any clue about. <laughs> we'll only start talking about memories where like, what are these two talking about again? So Dax, I, it's funny enough, the, the first question I'm going to ask you is, and this is a, a selfish question, where have you been for a little while? Where have I been for a while? Yeah. Um, an in, so I, I, want to, I want to interject this with a, with a, I'm interrupting you already, but I want to frame this as, a few years ago, everyone would have been like, oh, Dax Moy. But the the where I'm moving right now, I'm working with a lot of younger guys. They're like, I'm really excited for them to hear you because you've kind of been under the radar. For, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I'm saying by that? Yeah. You are a very public figure. And then you had your challenges and then you've been, you're in this new little love, lovely little world that you're yeah. in right now. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, without without bragging, it would be fair to say I was probably one of the best-known personal trainers. My in first the- thing, the first note that I've got to you is world's most expensive PT. Right, yeah. Um, you know, certainly in the UK for 15 years straight, I was the highest-paid PT. Yeah. Uh, ran several of my own studios. Everything was going great. Yeah. Um, 
you know, kind of looking after mentoring, mentoring personal trainers, running courses. Oh, you mentored me? That. Yeah, all yeah. that. Yeah, that's, that's a long time ago. Unlucky, <laughs> was a long time ago. Unlucky. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so basically about three years ago, I closed down my PT studio and it was, it was a, well, I was going to say it was a good thing. It was a good and a challenging thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my identity had been tied up in PT and, and talking to PTs and, yeah. and helping them. Um, as a kind of side business initially, and then kind of turning into something much more, much, much bigger and much more fulfilling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I got more into what, what people these days would call life coaching, mm-hmm. um, coaching in all its different formats. So kind of working with a lot of what people would term A-listers and all that kind of stuff, but still keeping, keeping my, uh, still keeping my connection to PTs, but mostly in teaching them how to get out of the harder, faster, more push, push, push. Yeah, motivation. Yeah, all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. And teaching them a bit more about how, how brains really work, not yeah. just mindset, not yeah. just psychology and all that. Anyway, so that side of the business really kicked off. And, and what I found was I had, at one point, I had three personal training studios on the go at the same time. And the, just the hassle of dealing with staff <laughs> turned turn into the part that that actually kind of took away a lot of my love a lot of my enjoyment there's always you know not all the staff obviously yeah. I, i've had some brilliant people working yeah. over the years but people taking dodgy payments under the table yeah. people working with clients off-site people yeah. not following the systems yeah. and of course my name was above my studio door so it, it, whenever people didn't get the kind of experience they wanted people would go oh i've been to that dax Moy place they didn't say oh i worked with let's say John so-and-so, right? Yeah. They would say, oh, I've, I've been to that Daxmoy place and it was crap. So my name was kind of getting dented. And yet yeah. in the other areas of my life, you know, if people work with me personally or with a select yeah, part of yeah. my team, or if they came and experienced me in other formats like the education, the mentorship, the, mm-hmm. the actual one-to-one coaching, they were having a brilliant experience. Yeah. Um, across- back then, dude, back then it was like, it's not like now where you don't need a team. Right. Or your team is tech. Yeah. Your team are tech people. You are the you can be the face of it. Back then, the only way to grow a PT business was either by hiring staff or doing what I did, which was just starting groups. Right? Do you know what I mean? There wasn't this. You didn't have apps. You didn't really. Facebook was kind of just a thing. Yeah. We were still on MySpace. Main Dax was still on MySpace. No shit. We're still on MSN Messenger and shit. And I I mean, I I had a, I had a. It doesn't even exist anymore. I had a Ning community of (laughs) fifteen thousand personal trainers at the time when you know that was that was incredibly unusual. And that was Facebook groups yeah effectively the before same. yeah yeah before facebook even existed yeah um but yeah i mean so so the the pt side was really started to come down for me part of my partly to do with my general enjoyment of it mm-hmm. partly to do with the fact that it was even though i was really well paid personally um for the amount of work i put in to run a team and keep a team busy and all of that kind of yeah. stuff it was far less lucrative than the other stuff I was doing. Yeah. You know, my one-to-one clients were paying me 50 grand a year and, yeah. you know, kind of, it, I'm having to work really, really hard to earn the same kind of money out of, out of an entire team. So, yeah, you know, that didn't make yeah, much yeah, sense. Yeah. At the same time, I was, I was kind of kicked in it, kicked in the nuts by PTSD. Yeah. Let's talk about this. Yeah. I, I'm, Cause we've never even talked about this, me and you. No, no, not I mean? really. In never, depth, it's no. not really, we haven't really talked about it in depth. So PTSD talks, talk us through this, man. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I had a fairly traumatic upbringing in lots of different ways. Yeah. Um, but I think the, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the the bit that triggered the PTSD for me was related initially to the tsunami. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in the tsunami, like literally in the water in the tsunami, carrying dead bodies in res- Thailand, in yeah, Thailand, resuscitating people, holding bits of bodies together, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. 
Um, and obviously that was that was traumatic at the time. But it was one of those things that I'm I'm kind of I come from an ex-military background. I've been trained for a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I kept my calm. I kept my cool. Um, came back from it a little bit shook up, but nothing major. And life carried on. Dude, and- stay stay in this tsunami experience yeah. for a little bit because I know you. It was a traumatic as fuck experience because you are saving lives. Yeah, people were dying in your arms, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and including you know, kind of seeing dead babies and all kinds of stuff. You know, yeah. so it was that was that was. It was shocking to go through at the time, as yes. anyone who says it, it yeah, says it is. It was, but yeah. I think part of my part of my training just kind of kicked in, and I was very while I was boots on the ground, I was very matter of fact. I would, yes. you know, I'd see people, I'd tell, I'd take con- control of the situations yeah. I was in. You two grab this, you do that, mm-hmm. carrying things and yeah. bodies and all yeah. kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, so you were able to compartmentalize it, would you say? Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think that's one of the things that the military does for you. It trains you to keep going. In during stressful, anxious, even fully traumatic times, because you just go, what needs to be done? And it, the, your brain kind of starts to break things down into: there's an outcome I want, yeah. There's something in the way of the outcome. Yeah. How do I address the obstacle to the outcome? Yeah, mechanical. And, yeah. yeah, and it, yeah. it is very, it's very process driven. Mm-hmm. That's what the military trains. You know, yeah. they train you to do that constantly. Yeah. Um, and that's really what, what happened to me during the tsunami. And, you know, cause we were, we were walking onto the beach. My, we'd just flown over from Australia. We'd spent a month in the Australian outback. Um, we'd spent a month in the Australian outback yeah. and, um, we decided, you know, it was, it was wonderful. Like we'd been everywhere. We'd done so, so many different things, yeah. but we decided we wanted to kind of sit on a beach for a little while. Um, so we kind of, as a last minute, cause we were supposed to fly home from Sydney yeah. and I said, Oh, fuck it. Let's go and go and go and fly to fly to Thailand and spend a week in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we landed on the, on Christmas night and we got in, we got in late, mm-hmm. woke up the next morning, kind of the kids were just being a real pain in the ass. They were arguing with each other yeah. and fighting. And, all. and so I'd, I'd, I'd had a real go at them and said, you know, kind of you're ruining it for us all. And, yeah. but as it turns out, if they hadn't ruined it for us all in that first bit in the morning, we would have been on the, on the beach about half an hour earlier and oh, we shit. would have been hit by the wave. Yeah. As it happened, we were just walking on to the beach yeah. and we suddenly saw the wave come in and people go flying. How many of everywhere. your kids were with you then? All of them? All of them. All, all of four, them. yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, you know, we turned, we ran, we happened to be, we were just so fortunate. We were the only hotel in, it's a very flat area along that, along that stretch, but yeah. we were the only hotel that happened to be on a hill. Mm. And so we ran into the hotel car park and it's literally at the height of the hotel car park is where the water stopped rising. Jeez. And so we got the kids safe. We put them in, put them into the hotel room. Yeah. And then I went back out into, into the water and kind of started, started helping people. Yeah. Um, we, cause we'd been on the road, like in the outback, we had a med kit and all that kind of stuff with yeah. us. So we set up like a first aid station in the hotel lobby and I, I was just kind of going out and bringing bodies back and yeah. bringing people back. And, yeah. you know, Dina, my wife, she was there kind of bandaging them up and kind of comforting them and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, once a few people start doing that kind of, it creates like a bit of momentum. And so then it was, it wasn't like just us two yes. were, were saving, saving Thailand, you know, yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, but, but certainly, certainly that sort of like started a flow. Yeah. Of, of people that were kind of getting involved in, in rescuing people, you could yeah. say. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that, it, that was a, that was a major thing. Um, I had a good cry that evening after, after it was, you know, kind of, you know, yeah. I'd, be, I'd literally been a rock and I went up in, into the, into the hotel room, sat down on the bed and just like burst into tears. Yeah. Um, quite cathartic though. And we were all in shock, but yeah, we stayed there for a lot of people left and we stayed there for the whole week that we were due to be there. Yeah. Um, and we just kind of, we, 
you know we kept interacting with the local community we yeah. were out on the beach every day kind of clearing away debris and all that kind yeah. of stuff so um we stayed we came back um back to the uk and about a year later or just a little bit more than a year um basically i got a phone call at work and um it was about my brother and my brother had basically um he was he used to, he was an alcoholic um he kind of various um periods of really cleaning himself up yeah. and then letting it go and clean yeah. himself and and at one time he he tried to stop cold turkey from from uh, from alcoholism it's apparently it's one thing you can't do like with if you're on opium if you're on any other kind of you can more or less stop cold turkey if you're yeah. a really high level drinker it can really screw you up so he basically made himself an epileptic as a result of Shit, as a result of that yeah um so, so one one day i got a call at work and basically it was, it's your brother I, I go i go we hadn't seen him for a while which was actually quite normal mm -hmm. um but yeah basically he was he was dead on his sofa Shit. um I, I went into his house and he was like badly de he's like a like a zombie really? um, black Fucking and blue hell. and decomposing and all kinds of stuff and that's yeah. so obviously that was traumatic that's two things in a very short period of time yeah weirdly enough like at the time it felt like work saved me like i dived more or less straight but now i realize i was just kind of masking things and yeah and you put a bearing I, I didn't yeah. I, I didn't really want to face it so it was business as normal went I, I was back in work the next day literally working with clients yeah um and yeah all of all of that was highly traumatic and, and within a fairly short space of time and it was around about this time or shortly actually no not not immediately about three years later is when the pt studio business started to lose a lot of its luster for me yeah and when i started realizing just how badly i was being ripped off by people that i really trusted as members of my staff and how how much i was being screwed over so yeah. work got really stressful and it was like the the stress at the studios open the floodgates for the PTSD. Yeah. It was like you'd boxed it all up and pretended, yeah, I'm, I'm a, you know, I, I wasn't doing it out of any form of bravado. I wasn't saying, oh, this doesn't affect me. I just didn't want to have it. Yeah. Right. And I, yes. I didn't want it. Obviously no one wants it to affect them. Yes. And yeah, suddenly, you know, it's one of the ways I describe it is like a, like a bucket, you know, kind of when, when that bucket keeps getting, uh, getting full, eventually it gets to the top and, the, and it, it overspills over the brim. That's when you have like the breakdown, that flood. And that's kind of what happened for me. The The studio became this kind of constant drip on an already three quarters full yeah, bucket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when it when it reached the top, when it when it overflowed, is when I when I kind of got the PTSD. And I was driving uh, driving home from work one day. I was driving down the M11, and I literally like it as clear as day saw a body like fall out of the sky land on the on the bonnet of, bonnet of the land rover and i i i spun and like did like a like a 360 on the on like completely turned the car around um pulled over on the on the hard shoulder like everyone's going nuts at me I pull yeah. up pull over on the hard shoulder I'm like what the fuck just happened yeah look around like i, I, I could have sworn there should be a body laying in the road or on the car there's nothing there and then little things like i you know i'd I'd get micro flashbacks of just like sit, I'd be sat there having a conversation like this, yeah. and then in the corner of my eye, I'd, I'd like see a see one of the bodies from the scene. I didn't connect it at first. I'd just see something, and I go, yeah. no, "No, there was someone there just now." Yeah, and then so that the kind of thing happens in movies quite a lot. Yeah. I didn't, but it's a real thing. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, it was real for me. <laughs> yeah. I can't speak to anyone else's experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was real for me. Yeah. Um, and then then that became multi-sensory so I'd, I'd hear things and i'd i'd smell decomposition and stuff like that in a room i'd walk in and like i'd, I'd almost gag it'd be like some there's either something dead in here or something was dead in this room that's yes. what it'd feel like to me yeah. 
Um, and it was it was one of those weird compartmentalization things again. I could work with you as my client, and I could be training you. Everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. I'd go back up to my office. I'd sit down. Ten minutes later, I'm kind of getting a flashback, and it, they they built so up. So it's kind of like up. when you're, and this is a guess. It's kind of like when you're consciously doing something, you can compartmentalize yeah. it. But then as soon as your unconscious kicks in, that's when all that started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was exactly like that. Yeah. So I. I my my strategy then became even more of what I was doing before, which was to keep myself really busy. Yes, yeah. Right, and I, I was literally doing everything. You yes. know, um, everything I could to keep my brain busy. Yeah, and it ended up to the point where because I, I was having major nightmares, mm-hmm. uh, like waking up in the night screaming and yeah. like kicking around and throwing my arms around. You know, the amount of times Dina got Jeez, accidentally Dina's only tiny me. as well. She's tiny, yeah. Um, and yeah, so. That, there was a lot, a lot going on, um, a hell of a lot going on, mm. and it got to it got to the point where I was, I think, for a year and a half, I my average, uh, my average night sleep for a year and a half was about ninety minutes. That's what yeah. I slept. Um, and you know, you always hear about this. You can go crazy if you if you don't sleep enough. Mm-hmm. I was definitely kind of losing the plot. I'd, I'd sit up sometimes. I'd just stare at the wall in my bedroom. I'd be sat on the edge of the bed and I'd stare at the wall in the bedroom and burst into tears for no reason. Yeah. And so my, you know, my family had to kind of put up with it. But somehow I was still able to. I had at the time I had one of my no, I had my very best financial year ever. Um, during busy. all of that because, because, I, so busy. because I kept busy I didn't yes. ever want to stop Yes, um, but I also run myself into the ground and, and I, I piled on loads of weight I mean I'm still a, I'm a big guy now but it's mostly muscular but yeah. kind of when I got to about 18 and a half stone um, not through really bad uh, really bad food or anything like that no sleep. Part, mostly through, through lack of sleep and then if I really did need to sleep I, it'd be it started out like I'd drink a bottle of wine a couple of times a week because uh, at least it'd be more like passing out sleep. Yes. Then it turned to I'll drink a bottle of wine every night of the week, and then I turned to I'll drink two bottles of wine because one bottle was not doing it enough because yeah. the right? size, right? Yeah, size of your body, yeah. right? You know, and then, and then you know, at, some, at one point I ended up on like three bottles of wine a wine a week for, for the better part of six and mate, months. Were you trying to solve all of this on your own? To begin with, because you're a very proud guy. Yeah, yeah. To begin with, I definitely was. Yeah. Um, I didn't need anybody's help. Yeah. Right. Kind of yeah. didn't want anybody's help. And you don't want to put on to people. You don't want to. You don't want to put it on to your family, right? Yeah. 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 And I and that. I also also sense it that you know, and it it was definitely a level a level of arrogance, but because of because of my background and yes. the work that I do with my, you know, I, was I shouldn't a, be. Like I was this. a best selling author of a mindset book, right? <laughs> kind of the, yeah. you know, all of that kind of stuff, and I I teach you around were coaching the, people, yeah, and I'm like. Yeah, there's there's no one out there going to be able to do what I do, <laughs> right? Like, why yeah, am I going to pay? But of course, you know, you can't you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. Even mm-hmm. even if a I've I've come to terms with the fact that that's a that's just arrogance, right? But but even if it wasn't arrogant, even if it was true that I happened to be fucking Tony Robbins level of of changing millions of lives around the world. Oh. Tony Robbins can't treat Tony Robbins. Yeah. Right? By the way, I'm the next Tony Robbins, just so you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but mate, do you know that that thing that you said there? We're gonna have to timestamp that. That you can't see the picture of you in the frame. I'm stealing the shit out of that, just right. so you know. <laughs> Actually, we'll edit that out and we'll pretend that I said it. <laughs> yeah. So you were trying to solve it on your own, and yeah, yeah. trying to solve it on my own, really getting nowhere. And like yeah. it came to a point where, uh, you know, Dean and my wife really supportive, and she would. She would say, right, you need time alone. 
get on a plane, go here, get on a plane, go there. And mm. she'd just keep, you know, whenever, whenever I reached the, like a really dark point and I, w- I was getting increasingly darker, well, yeah. Right? you know, increasingly darker. Yeah. Um, which is really unusual for me. Obviously yeah. you've, you've known yeah, me a long time. A long time. I'm, yeah. um, I'm a, what most people would consider an optimist, right? Yeah, kind and you're of, a level-headed. Yeah, I'm kind of. There's no. You're not like me, where it's fucking. Psh, yeah, I, I'm I, still I, like that now, but you're. I mean, I, I do. I do have rage in me. I have a. I have a lot of rage historically, but yeah. I, over the years, I've learned how to moderate yeah. and modulate it yeah. so that it serves me. Remember right? when we we're gonna fuck that guy up? <laughs> Absolutely. There was this guy online that was talk, he was always talking shit about me and Dax, and we're gonna go and fuck him up. Yeah. I, I reached. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know what? Just as an aside, I reached such a level of rage over that yeah. that at the time I was planning how I could actually do it. I was actually <laughs> online looking for flight tickets, and then I thought, "You get, you probably won't need it, but what if you needed a weapon? What would you?" And I was, I was thinking of sharpening a pencil because I could get it through customs. Well, and bone. Sta- and bone. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's how that's how rageful yeah, I was at the time. Man. Yeah, um, yeah. So kind of. There, there Sorry, is... man. I totally threw you off topic there. <laughs> there. There is rage. Remember there. that time we were going to kill that guy. <laughs> Yeah, there, there is rage. I'll bring, there, the shovel, a... I'll bring the shovel so we can bury him under the fucking patio. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I am. I am very level. I'm yeah. very level. But yeah. during that period, it, I was up and down, yes. and like I was experiencing you know, things that never bother me. I was starting to get road rage, and somebody look at me funny in the street, and like, what, what the fuck's he looking? At? Yeah. Like, all of these things that just aren't part of my personality. Yes. They're, they're not. You know, I've worked really hard on myself over over the years. Yeah, you know, I'm a 50 year old man now, right? Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, double granddad, and yeah. you know, I've worked really hard to kind of make make myself into the kind of person that i respected yeah and but i was seeing more and more things that i didn't respect about myself showing up in mm. how i was behaving and mm. how intolerant i was becoming of, of various things yeah and me do you think that and again this is it's not off topic but do you think this lack of sleep thing this just people are exhausted thing is part of the reason why this whole depression and suicide thing is so high mm. like it sounds very simple that doesn't it yeah. But I'm like, I'm convinced that most people aren't depressed. They're just fucking exhausted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you to a large extent. Not everyone. Yeah. But I think a lot of this thing is down to just people are fucking exhausted. Yeah. And you're saying that that was down. I mean, obviously PTSD was the thing, but that lack of sleep kicked you in the balls. Yeah. Um. Basically, there's, you know, there's a saying in the military that fatigue makes cowards of us all. Right. Um, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And, you know, it's, it's absolutely true. Like if you, if that's why so much military training, you can't shoot live bullets at soldiers when in training all the time, right? You can't throw live grenades at them. So what do, what do they use in the military to bring you to the closest you will ever experience in combat? They have you tired all the time Mm. for extreme physical activity. You get to bed late. They disturb you in the middle of the night and they kind of, you know, get you you a full meal, right? All all of that kind of stuff. Right. And it's because the closest they can ever bring someone who's training for an environment where they have, where they're going to be tired all the time yes. is to show them how they operate when they're tired Wow! and then automate the processes for w- when you are exhausted, mm-hmm. this is what you keep doing, R- whether you like it or not, whether you enjoy it or not, whether you want to do it or not, like you, this is what you do. This is the process. Yeah. So fatigue makes cowards of us all. Absolutely. But it would agree that kind of yeah. in so, in so many ways, um, for me, I was showing up cowardly and, and when, when I, by cowardly, what I mean is, <clears throat> excuse me, what I mean is I wasn't living out my full courageous self, like yes. the version of me that I knew I was. I was yes. being a different version. Yes. And I wasn't checking myself on that and I wasn't calling myself out on it. Yes. I wasn't I wasn't saying, you know what the standard is. Yeah. Go and live it. I was actually, I started by it for, a, for about a year. 
the darkest year of the whole thing, I started buying into the idea that I was allowed some kind of exception. You know, you're going through this, so be kind to yourself. You're allowed right? to do that. Right. Dude, I did that for a little bit with bipolar. I'm like, oh, well, I've got bipolar. Right. I'm bipolar. I have bipolar. Right. That was my whole thing. Oh, well, of course, I feel, of course I'm allowed to behave like that. I'm bipolar. Yeah. In fact, I remember one guy online, he's quite a famous fitness guy. He was like, oh, I apologize for all my behavior. That's me bipolar. I'm like, really? Yeah. <laughs> really? Like it has a life you of its own. Exactly. Just... Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally resonate with that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so there's that, I think there's a balance or not, not even the balance. There's a distinction to be made when you're going through something that is pushing you, pulling you, nudging you off of your particularly your own respect for yourself and that is to not spend any time trying to be kind to yourself where well, everyone wants to it's all happy clappy these days and everyone talks about kindness to ourselves and kindness is fine i'm not saying to be be mean yeah. mean to yourself but there's something that's far more valuable than kindness and that's fairness am i being fair to myself right because when you're being fair the, the distinction between the two kind is like there are, if I was being really kind today, I'd say, oh, Paul, you look fantastic and did it, right? If, I, if I'm being fair, I'd be telling you the truth about how you're coming across to me, right? And it's the same for ourselves. If I'm being kind to myself, I'm like, yeah, but PTSD's kicking your ass and you are exhausted. And that, to be fair, that guy did look at you funny and like, and you start yeah. to justify and Bro, rationalize. I love that. There's a difference between kindness and fairness because I think this new body positive thing is all about loving yourself. I'm like, that's not an excuse to fucking eat what you want and treat your body like shit. Mm -hmm. I think that's the difference. Yeah. Being fair to yourself is, you know what? I hate that, but it's not like an excuse. I think that kindness thing often comes across as excusing yourself for behavior that yeah. isn't actually that kind to yourself. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not, it's not a justification for people to, you know, it's just as, just as damaging, if not more so to go the other way and, and, be shitty to yourself yes. all the time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard right? on yourself. So, yeah. it, so it's not saying that kind of that's better. There's the middle ground in it. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. But I think in a way, like it goes even beyond the middle ground. It's, it's a it's a principle to live. Like you can't live by a principle of kindness, right? Kindness is, kindness is always going to be subjective. I might think I was really kind bringing you a cup of coffee, right, into the studio this morning, right? But I'm and, on caffeine. And, and you, you're <laughs> off caffeine or you go, well, I've already had six, like, <laughs> or whatever. You, know, yes. you, you may not judge what I've just done as kind, mm. right? But most of the time we can, we can usually come to an agreement on what's fair or unfair. Yeah. Right? And we, we, are, we ourselves know, like, and, that, and that's why you get that kind of, that I was a big dick alert after every really foul argument you ever have with someone, right? You walk out and then afterwards you go, Shit. oh, you're kind of cringing. You go, did I really say that? Yeah. Did I, like, that was unfair. Yeah. Right? We're, we're never really going to be able to measure kindness. Like, yeah. kindness is in the Subjective. Eye. Yeah. Subjective, yeah. People could make the same argument about fairness, but most of us have an idea. Our barometers are a lot more sensitive to fairness, which is why, you know, if you look at, look at the world today, Right, but kind of a lot of the lot of the uproar is about what people think is fair, not whether not what not what they think is kind. It's yeah. about what they think is fair. Yeah, yeah. Right. So one one of the one of the the things that that I realised is that I needed to get back to being fair to myself. And and fairness, the first thing for me always strikes me is about remembering who you said you'd be when this happens. Yeah. Right. And so that that's the thing that like I've I've got notes in every one of my journals. I've got a stack of journals like this. Mm -hmm. And in every one of them somewhere, remember who you said you'd be when this happens. And I don't care what the, this is, right? We can't, we can't plan out for every eventuality. But when things happen, you go, okay, who did I say I'd be when 
I had a really bad financial year and I, I worried about closing the business. Who did I say I'd be when, you know, kind of I was tempted to do something this way or yeah. who did I say I'd be? Yeah. And we don't always get it right first time, but once you've had the experience, once you've, I won't really call it a mistake, but once you've had the experience of being unfair to yourself, that's a, that's the opportunity for you then to say, what would I do next time then? When, when, if, when, if this same thing happens tomorrow, like if this, if this is my life from this day forward yeah. and this thing happens, what would I do tomorrow to mitigate this? So it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. kick me in the arse. It's Ken, we ask this question, knowing what I know now, what right. would I do differently? Right. Yeah. Knowing what I know. Cause at the time you only knew what you knew, right? Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, using, using the PT example, we used to, we used to have, you know, our clients would come and they go, oh, I'm running late, kind of, you know, boss kept me behind at work, yeah. right? And a lot of people, a lot of the junior coaches would go, oh, that's okay, I understand, yeah. right? So what I would say to my clients is, okay, so what happens if that becomes the new normal and your boss keeps you late behind at work every night? Yeah. What's our plan for that, Yeah. right? Yeah. And it's kind of, so bringing it back on, back onto the topic, for me, it was, what is my plan for getting back to myself? And I realized that for a period of that, when I was feeling really sorry for myself, I wasn't following any plan to get back to me. I was, I was mostly justifying why I was at where I was at. Mm. Right. And mm. in being kind to myself saying, well, of course life is like this. And of course you feel like that. And, I, and it didn't take away any, any of the, the factors that I was exhausted. I was run down. I was ter I was terrified for my sanity. I thought I was, you know, one, one thing that I identify with most about myself is I'm, I'm quite an intellectual and, you know, most people see me as a fairly kind of smart or wise fellow. Right. Um, and I think that partly comes down to what you said. I've always been fairly even keel with most things. Right. Uh, so I think that's part of it to meet yourself as somebody, somebody who's not that and to see and hear and smell and, have all these things going on going on in your brain is terrifying. Like mm. it's like, it, what, it, what if this is me every day now? Mm. And I was terrified. Mm -hmm. And, but I had, I, I, even though I was terrified, I hadn't created a plan for dealing with it. I just yes. kind of let it wash over me and sort of sat there wallowing in it, hoping for it to pass. Yes. And then, hope but, isn't a strategy. Right. Hope yeah. isn't a strategy ever. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it was kind of, it was when I reached the, the darkest part of that, that I was like, remember who you said you'd be. And then that was the kind of climbing back out of the hole. Yeah. Um, Wasn't there an incident where like, uh, you thought you were having a heart attack or something? Oh no, I've, I've had, I've had uh, multiple heart incidents. I had a kind of a mini, mini brain incident, like all of these related to excessively high stress hormones for excessively long periods of time, lack mm -hmm. of sleep. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I mean, when you're, when you're not sleeping, your, your hormones are all over the place and that has, that has untold negative effect yeah. on the body. Yeah. So what was the, <clears throat> Because you've started, it, you're handling this now, right? Yeah. You're starting yeah. to get a handle on this now. What's What was the whole, I almost want to say healing process, but that would that be accurate? Would that be an accurate term? Yeah. Yeah, it would be, yeah. It's, that's not too flowery for what I went through. And, yeah. and in fact, I... Because, I can't believe I've just said it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think flowers came out of my mouth when I said that. <laughs> but you're not healing You're not healing healing yeah. Um, so I... I literally looked into everything. So I went to everything from NLP practitioners. Mm -hmm. I went to, um, you know, life coaches mm -hmm. and, and all that kind of stuff. What, what really the first really big break, and this is going to sound so weird, particularly in, in the, in the context of you spitting out those flowers just now yeah. is I went to Sedona in Arizona. Mm -hmm. I, I booked out, booked the trip to go to one. It was a, basically a holistic healing center, right? 
but unlike anything you've ever heard of or seen before. So, and, and as weird as it is, like I had everything going. It was, it was fucking crazy, but it was really good. Um, I had I had a, a Hopi um, Native American Indian shaman dancing over me, beating drums and chanting. Yeah. Uh, I had a breath worker literally making me go, <sighs> and all different breathing patterns for like ninety minutes. And, I was, and that's that's weird. Like you hallucinate when when you do that for yeah. a period of time. Yeah. Um, going to activate DMT or something, right? Yeah, 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 all of that, all of that kind of stuff. Yes. Um, I had, I had, uh, I went to like um, horse whisperers and was like, like, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, I tell you me what, the Mort whisperer, the Mort whisperer. Hang on, you got to go into this a bit more. Horse whisperer, a horse whisperer, right? So basically, what what you do? <laughs> nay, is you, nay, we. You meet, you meet with this person who basically guide you to guide you kind of up and down the stables and a horse picks you right kind of it's, it's weird but a a horse picks you right yeah. um from from that <laughs> you get handed a, handed like a tarot deck okay right and a tarot deck that is like basically the this this whisperer doesn't want to know anything about you beforehand right nothing about you mm-hmm. so they they want to work from that from that point forward hand you this tarot deck upside down and you kind of pick out a card and the card i picked out was effectively it was a it was a the foam of horses like in like in lord of the rings right you know do you remember when it cut through that ford right yes. it was like this foam of horses but it was yeah. a tsunami sized wave right it was a tsunami of horse water I know, if you will, yeah yeah yeah, right? yeah 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 um i picked out this card randomly from and she showed me the rest of the deck after like there's no way i could have known yeah and then basically that just led to some weird thing where i i would put my hands on the horse and the horse would react in certain way and she was able to I don't, look, did and uh, did you believe in that? Uh, did you have to, or did you have to do that thing where you are like? Oh, no, I, I, I didn't go. I never go anywhere as a cynic, but I went everywhere as a skeptic. Yeah, right? it's like you, it's your job to prove to me some stuff here, not not to because uh, obviously I being a coach and and working working, I know how you can frame people's answers to help fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. So I deliberately gave her nothing that could have helped her with that. So it, it was weird anyway, right? That was it was one part of it. I, I came away feeling feeling better from that. Yeah, um, I wouldn't say that was the most instrumental part, but what, I guess what I'm what I'm demonstrating is I did all of these different things, and and I was there for a week, mm-hmm. and I went in um complete kind of uh submersion tanks and you know literally everything you can do no ayahuasca of. i didn't do ayahuasca on that trip no yeah. uh i haven't done ayahuasca but since i've done shrooms and and things like that and they've been really really helpful but that that one trip that was the trip that broke the back of it like if if i was if i was up at like 80 percent affected by my by my ptsd that probably brought me down to about forty percent. Really? And I, I never, I, I had little blips and fluctuations, but I never went back up again. Um, so that, that was the, that was. Why the, do you think that was then? Do you not know? Um, there, I mean, a bunch of theories, right? So, so the, the obvious one would be to relate it to each one of the therapies, right? Which I, I can't pick out any one therapy that did that. Yeah. I think what did happen though is I. Probably for the first time since it since it happened, I actually gave myself time to explore what was going on with me. Right, I yeah. actually gave that, that. You know, if I, if I take away all the voodoo and the magic and the and the woo woo shit and yeah. the flowery parts and all the rest of it, yeah. I think it was probably that I just gave myself time with it, I, and I didn't run away from it, and I didn't do what I what I had done on some. You know, I, I'd taken 
trips prior to that by myself and I'd, you know places that i love like thailand and stuff and i'd i'd booked a villa and all that kind of thing um but i ended up you know undoing some of that by you know drinking myself to sleep while i was on those trips yes on this trip i basically i, I think i had a couple of i had a glass of wine with dinner in the evenings or something like that but i wasn't drinking yeah and so i was actually just i i was spent i was having these treatments and then i would spend the evening uh reflecting on on what came up and not trying to figure out whether it was bullshit or whether it wasn't bullshit but how i felt about what came up yes and that made yes. the difference because basically i started telling the truth to myself yeah. and that that's i think that's always the start you know if we if we want to kind of use that word healing yeah. the word the word healing only means to make whole yeah. right kind of holding healing it just means the same to yeah. make whole and when you when you compartmentalize yourself and you break bits off and you pretend they don't exist yeah. or you overemphasize another part of yourself you're yeah. doing the exact opposite of healing yourself yes right you're yes. so you're making you make oh well the public need to see me like this so i'll make that part of me much much bigger than he actually is mm -hmm. right in other words i'll start bullshitting and I'll, I'll pretend that life is brilliant yeah and then oh i don't want them to see that part of me so i'll snap that bit off and i'll stick it out of sight in in the back corner somewhere where people don't see that i'm i'm scared and i'm i'm drinking two bottles of wine a night and I'm, you know yeah. i don't want people to know about that part yeah. and that's how that's that's the real healing, the holding that we need to that we need to say, take yeah. is, is actually say there's all these parts of you. Like one of the ways I've always described it to my clients is literally every single one of us is a schizophrenic. And that's no offense to anyone going yes. through schizophrenia, but we're all a schizophrenic. We're we're different people when we're, and we we're, all have often have multiple personalities. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, an example I often give is when my when my grandma was alive, I didn't used to walk into the house and speak to her like I used to speak to my military buddies. Yeah. Right? Yes. Why? Because it was it was the wrong communication. All right, you can't. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> um, you know, kind of it, it was the it was the wrong context. It yes. was the wrong environment for that mm. kind of communication. So mm -hmm. we each know that there are environments that, that not only allow us to behave in a certain way, but kind of often confine and constrain us into a certain kind of behavior. And we all know that. Yes. And the the fact that we can change our behavior in each one of those environments means that we are effectively kind of schizophrenic. We're it's very interesting right? to see that, yeah. Um yeah. And that's not to belittle anyone who's going through the medical condition of yes, schizophrenia. Yes. It's, it's just saying that we we kind of we all have that we have these multiple personalities. If it's you like will. energies in it, right? It's like different energies exactly. that we can take into each. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally get that. Yeah. So you accepted that, right? And I think that was that's what happened during during that first retreat, or that first kind of multifaceted weird Thing. weird retreat. Yeah. Right. That's what that's what happened during that one is that I was able to spend time with myself, bring the bits back to me that I discarded. And shrink many of the pieces that I'd elevated, yeah. um, and you know, kind of, and that was really just by just by examination. I say just right. Mm -hmm. Everything is solved for examination. To be honest, yeah, examination that leads to some kind of new action, right? Yeah. Um, that's all coaching is as well, isn't it? That's all coaching yeah. is, right? It's get get you to tell the truth, yeah, and then remind you to keep telling it while you take some new action based upon the new version of truth, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. Right, we, you you can dress it up in all the all the flowery words, motivational motivational psychology, and all. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. Tell the truth, then act on that truth, yeah. and do it repeatedly. Yeah, and that's you know that that's actually why I love coaching. Yeah, because it's just helping people to remember who they said they'd be. Yeah, and you're not. Um, and I always say this. I think you might. I don't even know who told me this, but one thing, and this is one of the changes that I had to make when I started growing this mindset male mental health unstoppable thing i got to a point where i was fucking exhausted because i was telling people what to do and they weren't doing it yeah and i was taking all of that home with me and then i was like there's got to be something different and that's when i learned how to coach properly yeah because then 
it's on them. Yeah. You and know what I'm saying? It's, it's like they're coming to the conclusion rather than me giving them the conclusion. Absolutely. Yeah. There's it's a different ball game, isn't it? It is a completely different ball game. And it's, it's a really important one, particularly if you've gone through a lot of things that cause you to doubt yourself in the first place. Yeah. Right. Throwing yourself into situations that cause yourself to doubt yourself even more doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Yeah. And you know, I, I think, I think a lot of, a lot of people throw themselves into situations where they're only, you know, they're more likely to get the negative feedback and the negative response than they are ever to get the positive one, yes. right? And that, you know, for me, the kind of that's 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 why I love coaching in the first place. But that was also what I what I realized was true for myself. Yeah. I, I needed to start applying principles back to myself that put me in a higher likelihood, a higher percentage of coming out a winner. Yes. And what, you know, kind of being kind to myself up to that point was actually making me a loser. Yes. Right. So that, that's, that was the kind of the point where things really. It's almost like giving yourself permission to be an arsehole, right? Yeah. That's what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, you know. Of course I'm being an arsehole. I've had no sleep. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what was happening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I I started to rationalize, justify and kind of say, yeah, well, of course, anyone that's going through what you're going through, Dax, was, would feel the way you feel yes. and would act the way you act. Yes. Which is true to a, to a degree, yeah. Um, but only be, only if they're running the same script that I was running at the time, which yeah. was it kind of it's okay and it's justified. Yeah. So, mate, when was the transformation between, like, what was this like? Because again, I'm, I feel I almost feel bad for people because they haven't experienced Dax Moy because you kind of disappeared for a bit. Yeah. Well, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I I disappeared in the format that I was in. I think I needed some time to kind of work on myself yes, and not yes. not be not be a public figure not do it publicly. Yeah, yes. not and you know, kind of. I I tried it for a while, which was kind of like I was trying to share. State. Must have been quite hard. Must yeah, have been quite hard because you had a lot of big following. Yeah, a lot of popularity, impacting a lot of people. Yeah, and it then was, it was you huge. were not. Yeah. Uh, well, and but there was a second part to that as well because. I'd also stop, and I don't know if it was because of the PTSD or I, I, I've, I suspect it was coming on for a while anyway. I was actually bored of the lot of conversations that I was being asked to host, if you know what I mean. The, uh, people, all, all, people that I was speaking to mostly felt that they were having problems with their coaching businesses because of a business problem. Yes. Right. And they, you know, all they ever wanted to speak about was Facebook ads and how do I get more traffic and what's the best script to use in a, in a a sales call. call. And first off, I'm not a business coach, right? Kind of, I've never positioned myself as a business coach. I've, I've built really good businesses, but I've, I've always built my really good businesses because I've applied certain principles to them that then work for you. That that a worked for me, but I also believe were universal, right? But that weren't about the marketing modalities or anything like that. It was like, I've I've, about the tactic. I've never believed that somebody has a business problem. Like if you're not getting clients to your business, it's not because there's something fundamentally wrong with your business. It's because of how you're, how you've created it, how you're showing up with it and how you're talking about it to other people. It's not often your beliefs around money as well. I bet. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I'd kind of gotten a bit bored. I wanted to talk about, I, I always talk about like the thing is not the thing. Like people, people often believe that their problem is, you know what? If only I was earning an, a bit more, if I was earning 10, 10 grand a year, 20 grand a year, 30 grand, no matter what the number, right? Because I, I've also then worked with, uh, with millionaires, decamillionaires, kind of hundred million. I've even worked with billionaires, right? 
And they all, every single one of them kind of has a story that kind of, oh, well, if I, if I got the next next checkpoint in place, then life will be good, right? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a... And mate, there seems to be more, I think what's happening now, more and more, there's more and more checkpoints. More and more checkpoints. If I get yeah. this many followers on Instagram, that'd be cool. Yeah. If I get this many, on, this happens to me. If, I, if I've got this many subscribers on my YouTube channel, if I get this many podcast downloads, I mean, I, I don't measure myself on them. I think it's kind of good to have measurements, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I totally get what you're saying because I've done that money thing before. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it didn't so- feel anything like I thought it would when I got there. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. When I was 21 and I thought, oh, I'm going to build this business, move to Marbella, I'd be making more money than I ever thought I'd have. It didn't feel anything like I thought it would when I was 21. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because at, at the end of the day, all we want to do is experience ourselves having the, being the kind of person we always wanted to be, yeah. right? There's a point where money helps you do that. Yeah. And there's a point of diminishing returns where actually it's not helping you anymore. It's just, you know, it's, it's, you've got more money, yeah, but you've also got more taxes, you've got more stuff, you've got bigger problems, you like it, and it never ends. Got more rooms you know? to clean. Right. Yeah, more clothes to wash. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think you know, if I'm really honest, I, I got bored of a lot of the conversation. I'm still like when when I show up now, I'm looking in some of some of my tribes, and it's interesting. The same questions are being asked that were being asked of me 23 years ago. <laughs> I, I've been doing this for 23 years, yeah. um, and I established myself really quickly in the industry. I'd only been in it for about two or three years when suddenly I was like one of the better known trainers, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then you know very quickly be, became one of, one of the highest paid. Right, so I, I kind of made that first transition really quick, and it's shocking to me that to this day all the same questions are being asked and and it's it's kind of boring it's yeah. and, and i don't mean that disrespectfully to anyone asking if if you're asking the question it's because you feel you need the answer yes. to it but most of us have been trained to ask the wrong questions right and it kind of being being caught up in the in you know what you just described there the the likes and the loves and the shares and the, and all of that has its place but they're all vanity metrics so it's just like kind of how how many people loved you today right one one of the things i always said was like Try like Instagram are getting rid of that now. Right, they're getting rid. Then you know, can't you don't you can't see how many likes. Can't you've see had. anymore. Yeah, yeah. They've also Facebook have taken away how many unfollows you've had, which is yeah. a good job for me. <laughs> <laughs> but you get what I'm saying? Like yeah. they're taking all of that away now because they know that people are getting caught up in it and it's affecting their mental health. Yeah, and it's also one of those things that actually turns out to be absolutely irrelevant. Right, the, you can pay someone then, to like. You can just pay somebody to like all your shit. Yeah, re- I mean, re- really, really smart people will come up with some algorithm and they'll say, "I earn one dollar ten for every yeah. subscriber." Yeah. Like, the reality is that kind of no, you don't. You earn you earn like a thousand thousand dollars off of these this tiny group of people over here yeah. each. Yes, and most of them ignore you. Yes, right. So there's that there's the that distinction between value metrics and vanity metrics. Yes. And you used to talk all the time, and I think you still do, right? Like. It doesn't matter how many people are on your list. Like, can you buy bacon and beans this week? Right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, like, yeah, that, yeah. that's it. Like, did did it generate enough for you to live the life you want to live? And you know, I, I remember seeing a thing recently about that that girl who on Instagram she had twenty million followers, but she couldn't sell thirty seven t shirts. Yes, yes, I right? used that in a talk in Barcelona twenty nineteen. Right. I did a talk and I used that right. example. Yeah, you know. So anyway, kind of to to bring that back on track, I. I I got largely bored of the conversations. I wanted to have the deeper conversations. So I've mm-hmm. I've been I spend less time online now. And sometimes I... social media isn't the place to have a deep conversation. No, it's not. No. Is it sometimes? You know what I mean? It's a well, there's it's... no tonality, right? There's no 
eye to eye contact. That's why I don't like doing these on Zoom so much. One of the reasons I came, I haven't come off Facebook, but yeah. I put all my best stuff into. I've got like a mighty networks tribe now, yeah. right? And one of the reasons I put it or put it all in there is because I can say what I want to say without Facebook going oh, well, you you use this kind of word or you put this thing in there or we're going to downgrade that. Or like, I, I think it's, I, I love I love social media for the fact that the world has given all of us a radio station, a TV station, uh, a newspaper. You know, we've, yeah. all, we've all got the ability to say what we want to say. Mm-hmm. But I dislike it for the, for the idea that I don't really own those things. And actually there's an, an editor or publisher of each one deciding, Dax, you can't say that. And if you say it, we're only going to show it to seven people, even though you've got a list of 70,000 people, right? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. And so that's why I like to have my own like private side rooms yes. for, for deeper conversations. Say what the fuck you want when you want to say it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I suppose you don't have to deal with all those. Because one of the benefits of these social media platforms is you get uh, people who are who you're invisible to, you can become visible to. Right. But also that brings with it the people who <laughs> yeah. can come in tell you to jump off a cliff yeah. every day yeah, yeah. and I, I i got bored of i i actually got bored of it um a lot of it which is part of my radio site so part of it was the ptsd i just yeah. needed to give time attention and effort to myself yeah. and thankfully I'd, I'd put myself into a financial position where i didn't that. have to get up and show up in front of the world today in order to pay the mortgage mm-hmm. i'm i'm not i'm not a millionaire even to, the, to this day i'm not i'm not a millionaire my best ever financial year was 750 mm-hmm. um at the moment i'm earning a lot less than that but i'm by most people's standards i'm doing really really well yeah. right yeah. Um, but the point, the reason I bring that up is that I, I was really fortunate. I got to the point where, you know, the math said, if you didn't go to work for seven years, you can still live the life that you're living right now. Like that's, that's how I worked it out. How much do we as a family spend? Oh, seven, I can sit at home for seven years. I've got seven years to figure this out before I ever have to, that's cool to worry. Right. Um, and you know, kind of, I don't know who first used the phrase. But it's, it's a little, it's not, a, it's not as powerful as that, but it's the equivalent of "fuck you" money, right? I don't have to, I don't have to show up on your terms because oh, Dax is quiet. He really should be on social media today. Yeah, it's like no, I'll show up when I feel like showing up when I've got something to add to. It's the not a, it's not a, it's kind of that want versus need, right? I don't right. need to. Yeah, and if I don't want to, I won't. Right. Yeah. yeah. If I want to, I will, but I don't need to. Right. It's a powerful thing, that. Very powerful, yeah. And yeah, I feel really, really I don't feel lucky because I work my ass off to get everything that I've got, but yeah. I feel really fortunate. Like I'm I'm very aware that, you know, particularly during the COVID lockdown, like most most people were panicking. They were wondering, you know, how they're gonna keep the roof above their heads during COVID and all mm-hmm. the rest of it. And I'm like, oh, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's fine. Like, you know, I'm like most people, I don't like seeing my nest egg go down. Like uh, I yeah, prefer to see it replaced faster yeah, than it's going down. But yeah. if at times that happens, I'm just like, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'd yeah. like I know what I've created in the world up to this point is a value i know what i've got to say is a value mm-hmm. and the only thing that really matters is am i saying what's of value to people that will value it and that's part of the reasons why i don't don't show up as off i'd rather i'd rather have a smaller community of people that yes. go fucking hell that dax moy guy's got really powerful stuff to say then somebody go oh that was all right wasn't it move on and i was just one of a thousand posts they they read today as they were scrolling through their wall i don't want to be mm-hmm. one of a thousand mm-hmm. right kind of i want to i want to be like the guy you want to listen to on this particular topic. And that's all yeah. I'm, that's, that's how I've really been shaping, like yeah. shaping my conversation for like for the last couple of years. Yeah. I love that. So another thing I wanted, I didn't speak to you really during lockdown, but I feel kind of bad, but listen, I was busy. It happens. <laughs> 
It happens. I was sat at home every day crying. Thinking, why? <laughs> why? Where the why hasn't Paul sent me a dick pic? <laughs> <laughs> again. Yeah, again. <laughs> um, what was lockdown like for you guys? Um, it was. It I was, was going to say because you've came. You're in that. You've got that little. I know you've got some kind of man shared away. Yeah, I, I I built a man cave at the bottom of my garden about five years ago. Yeah. Um, I've got my own my own gym kind of game system yeah. library like everything uh you know yeah. me I, I read i read hundreds of books per year hold on a second are you a gamer huh are you a gamer did you just i wasn't say? until lockdown really I, I got i got um i got for i think when i first got the man cave like yeah. i got a, a play an xbox yeah that basically i switched on about five times in four years yes and then during during kind of lockdown i just yeah, I'd, what do you play? Just a bit, bit of mental masturbation. I just what do you of, play? Uh, oh, cod, of course. Warzone. Do you? Yeah. Jeez, yeah. Soldier. Of course, you're going to blow things up all day, everyone. Mate, I'm trying to get my son into Warzone, but he's a Fortnite guy. <laughs> Fortnite's, uh, yeah, it's kind well, of. Like... It, to be fair, it was my son that got me into it. Was it? So, yeah. So yeah, kind of when when lockdown started, he goes, "Oh, let's play this." Mate, I think that happened to a lot of people. A few of my friends, Smith got into it. I think Paula Lima's into it. Yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they're playing a little bit of. Uh... Honestly, I'd, I'd owned that machine for four years and never switched it on. Yeah. like four or five times in four years. Yeah. Suddenly, suddenly lockdown, and uh, but again, that was that was part of lockdown. Yeah. It's part of an experience I actually wanted to not gaming so much, but yeah. just like you know what, I don't I don't want to think about work, and I don't want to when when lockdown very first began, I told myself I was going to show up every day and just be this beacon of light and hope to yes. everyone and and have all this stuff to say yeah and then i just i i every time i logged in it was full of negativity and pessimism and yes. the world is going to end and yes. like all that kind of stuff and it just it just wasn't a it was you know coming coming back to kind of really knowing what i need now yeah. for my own mental health yeah just like this is not an environment i should spend any decent that's what i was just about in. to say about environment yeah. yeah i think that's so important because uh one thing that I've learned is that your environment, your mind will adapt to the environment that you keep putting it in. Absolutely. And that, for a lot of people, I think that's a lot of people, it's a problem for a lot of people. Yeah. Like the WhatsApp groups, the Facebook, who they follow on Facebook, what they're reading, what they're watching. It has a big impact. Environment is so important. It's it's one of the most underrated aspects of, of literally every part of managing self, yeah. right? It's because your environment affects your feelings your feelings affect your thoughts your thoughts affect your actions your actions affect your results right a lot of people ignore the first stages of that right yeah. the, the the environments affect your feelings it's like trying to get fit in mcdonald's right yeah <laughs> yeah people are trying to get fit in mcdonald's absolutely but i mean in in my mind map program one of the things i i one example that i give right each one of us has had that experience of walking into a room and knowing that an argument just took place Right, no one's arguing anymore, and no one's shouting. Right, but you know, or you've walked into like a pub or a bar, and you go, something's going to kick off here, like really, really soon. Yeah, and there's yeah. there's nothing purely tangible. There's a there's a the, the what? Yeah, well, actually, kind of. So even though we don't pay attention to it, things like pheromones that are being put out by people, mm. they're being picked up in in our sensory system. Our sensory system is alerting us via our feelings yeah. and saying you should be a bit on edge here. And then that gives you the thoughts of like, got to sit one back to the wall, or maybe we should leave, or like yeah. every like the environment's a lot more important than, than most people give yeah. it credit. Yeah, and you know that was in the worst stages of my PTSD. I realised that I drove from my house to the studio. I got out of the stu- out of the studio. I, I trained the clients to get back in the car, drive home, and come out. And for a while, I was like really shitty and really dark, and like I was grunting and groaning unless you were uh grunting and groaning that sounds completely wrong i was grunting at people i wasn't there was no groaning um 
but you know kind of i wasn't wasn't very talkative or any of that kind yeah. of stuff and I'd, I'd arrive home to to my family and oh hey babe how was work yeah it's fine yeah. and that's how i'd come in the house yeah. right and so one of the things i started to do was change my environment so when i when i left the house when i very first when i was getting ready to leave my house i would think about the drive that i wanted to have what's the route i'm going to go Right, kind of what's, what's the area that's got the most traffic yeah. what's going to piss you off on the way if it, what could i listen to in the car right? maybe everything from the music yeah. to the every, literally everything yeah. when i got to the other end i would sit in the car for five minutes without getting out and then mm. think about the next environment i was transitioning into my studio mm. from the studio i would do the same getting back into the car mm. from the car i would park around the corner from my house literally like one minute drive around the corner from yeah. my house i'd get out the car i'd have a word with myself about who i was going to be when the family first saw me again mm. And then I would meet the new environment as the version of myself I wanted to be, yeah. right? So instead of grunting and grunting, I'd, I'd walk in and the first thing I'd do is hug and kiss my family, speak, yeah. to, literally spend one minute with everybody and talk to everyone. Yeah. Like, yeah. What, what you've been up to date? Yeah, I love that. Envi- shaping, like we underestimate how much environment shapes us, but also how much we can influence and shape our own environments. Yeah. Um, and that was that was a major thing for me actually. So cause, you know, I said I went from like eighty percent down to forty. Things like that, kind of creating what I call safe havens, mm-hmm. little little checkpoints throughout your day that actually allow you to check in with yourself. And like, there's a thing again. I, I'm always drawing on the military. Whenever you always see like people in movies, like with the cam cream on their face and all that kind of stuff, right? Sometimes you see them with a big bush on their back, right? But in, in the military, like when you transfer from one environment to another, you change camouflage. You stop at the border of the two zones and yep. you go, right, well, we have been going through forest, so we've had some twigs and stuff on us. Yep. Now we're moving through a cornfield. We need to get some of that on us, right? And it was it was borrowing from that exact, that exact same idea. Every time I change my environment, take a pause and ask yourself about the environment you're transitioning into mm-hmm. and which version of yourself you want to meet that environment as. Yeah, nice. And that, that, that was yeah. a major Brendan change. Brendan Bouchard has this thing, calls it doorway triggers. So he'll have this thing that he says to himself every time he walks through a certain door, he'll he, he he'll be like, right, this is the energy that I need to go in today. Yeah. yeah, I'll do things when I walk into the office. He this fucker hears it every day. I'll go, come on, just because I'm yeah. like that's a doorway trigger. I need to change my energy here now. So the yeah. energy that I've got, and I do this when I go home. So most nights when I'm going home, I'm showing up at work and I'm in, I'm hustling. I'm talking to a lot of people. I don't want to take particularly take that guy home to my kids so I'll often either I'll walk home every day it's a walk home because mm-hmm. I'm changing I'm changing my energy and like you say taking someone different into that different environment yep. yeah it's powerful Yeah, and a lot of people will blame their environment a lot as well I think though so what you're saying is actually you didn't really change the big environment you changed not how you thought about the environment but you changed tiny little things because a lot of people are like oh well I can't change I'm in this office the environment's negative. The environment's toxic. I can't change that. But what you're saying is actually you can. Yep. Yeah. And so in in my mind map program, I actually teach that there are six environments, right? And so one one of the one of them is the is the outer environment, the one I was just speaking about, the one that seemingly you can't change, yep. but you can change how you use it. Yeah. Right. So you can't like I can't get out and say oh, I don't like being stopped at traffic here and move everyone out of the way and I can't take down the traffic lights or yeah. any of that kind of stuff. But yeah. I can say so. What you know for me, I I found that I, at, at the worst point of my experience, I was experiencing kind of either road rage or borderline road rage every time I drove into work. Mm-hmm. 
So I said, well... I mean, that, London traffic yeah. is enough to drive anyone. Well, there year. was only two ways for me to go, right? Because yeah. I, I live in Essex now, right? Yeah. So I'm a kind of a fake Essex boy. <laughs> and there was only two ways for me to go. And both of them were really unpredictable. Yeah. And so what I said is, okay, well, if if they're unpredictable... And one of the worst... You know, I arrived here early today. I said, I, I get everywhere early, yeah, right? Yeah. Being being late, part, again, maybe because of my military stuff, but also just respect I have for other people's time, right? Mm-hmm. I just... I get agitated if I'm, if I'm going to be late. It, it really annoys me. And so I realized I was always worried about being late. Like I'm... So what I did instead is I started actually getting up at 5.30 instead of 6.30. I'd get in the car at 5.30 when the roads were empty. I'd arrive at the studio and I'd have like a sleeping bag and kind of in myself. And I'd actually go, I'd get an hour's nap at the other end. Yeah. The difference to me was night and day. Because yeah. every day I arrived before all the traffic started. Yes. I still got the same same amount of sleep. Yeah. Right? So I was always able to doze off for some reason when I, when I got to the office. Yeah. Um, because all that agitation was gone from me. I was just like, oh get it really calm yeah. and it, that, that that's an example of using your environment differently if you can't change the environment change how you use it mm. you know and mm. a, a lot of people don't do that and it doesn't even dawn on them that we, can, we kind of tend to have this idea that we're a victim of the environment yes, yes. right yes. because this that yes right because because uh, because of the traffic on the roads i always arrive at work agitated and pissed off like okay but could you leave earlier yeah but i don't want well that's a, that's a different choice that you not wanting to leave earlier is the same as voting to be every day caught in yes caught in traffic and experience yes. yourself how you don't want to experience yourself yeah right yeah and yeah so i mean there are there are six environments in total that, that i talk about mm-hmm. but certainly that that outer environment yeah is is one that is really underrated often let go of entirely so there's fuck all i can do about that so i've got to ignore that yeah um, but certainly when you put all six together, people blame, people even blame like the town they're from, right? Oh, my town's right. different. Yeah. My town's Absolutely. Because no one from people... South Shields can earn any money, by the way. <laughs> I know. Absolutely. I know no, no one. one from South, no one from this town, this town, people are cheap here. Yeah. The town's fucked. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's negative. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you know, as we, we've discussed many times, like no matter what town you live in, there's always someone who drives a, drives a Bentley or a higher, you know, or not just a someone, a, a collective group of people that yeah. live in what everyone knows as the high end of town or everyone knows that those are the expensive restaurants and everyone knows, right? Yeah. There's so, always the most expensive part yeah, of town. There's always that. Yeah. Um, and people, people want to ignore that in favor of, in favor of the, the, oh, it's different in my town, in my street, at my age. Like we're either too young or we're too old and we're, mm. we're either overeducated for what we're doing or we're under Like, yes, you know, everyone's in, in kind of caught in this Goldilocks idea that we're kind of, mm, there's a, mm, just right. That, yeah. And if only, if I just keep pursuing it, I'll finally get to just right. And it's like, yeah, it's not how it works. Yeah, oh, what, what's the second environment? I mean, I'm in now. Well, well, I so mean, so you, you, you can't say I've got. You can't say I talk about six. Then. Well, so that that was the six. But the, so the first environment is what we call your inner environment. Yep. So your inner environment is your is really like everything that makes you you that kind of shapes your identity. Mm-hmm. And so those are those are things like your beliefs and your values and your sense of purpose and your sense of meaning in life. Mm-hmm. And again, these are things that people generally tend to downgrade, downplay push to the back of the line and think, do you know what? When life gets good for me, I'll sit down and I'll do all that poncy exploring work. But for now, that's, I, I don't need that. Like, give me something, give yeah. me something physical. To right. do. Yeah. Pe- pe- people think that that's just navel gazing and it's, it's a bunch of bollocks. And it actually turns out that if you don't know yourself, like if you, if you can't like off the top of your head, say what you believe about any topic on earth, like any random thing that someone says to you, 
then you don't really know yourself. If you don't know yourself, how can you choose what's right for you? Yeah. Right. How can you, how can you say if, you, if, if there are things about yourself that you don't know or that you are mistaken about or that don't serve you. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I never speak in terms of like right and wrong, good or bad anymore. I, I gave that up and I, I have a bit more of a, like a, like a Buddhist philosophy. I just think skillful or unskillful, right? Skillful being given what I wanted to achieve did was the action that I took commensurate with that. Did it make it happen? Yes. Right. The more it occurs, the more skillful I acted. The yeah. less it occurs, the less skillful, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, you know, it's unskillful to go through life not knowing who you are and what you believe and what values are your... Which, one, which ones did your mum and dad put into you yeah. that serve you and serve you still? But yeah. which ones don't and which ones should you displace or get rid of yes. or downgrade? Yes. Right? Most people have no idea who they are. Yeah. And if you don't know who you are, how can you ever choose what you should do? Mm-hmm. Right? It all starts from who you are. Yeah. Right. So that's that's the that's the inner environment. Then you've yeah. got the then you've got the what I call the naked self. Like everything about you with your clothes off that you look at and you look at all those everything from your hair, your eyebrows, your beard, the tattoos you wear, how you look after your body. Like is is that something that you respect? Are you looking at a thing that you respect or not? Mm. Right? A lot of people, as we know, like for we, we both started out as personal trainers. A lot of people are living extremely unhappy lives because of their relationship with their naked self. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about everyone needs to get six pack abs, right? But when you look at it, like I think even if you had six pack abs, from my experience, people still look and go, Oh yeah, but my arms could be bigger and this could be smaller and that could be like no one's ever truly satisfied. But that's not the same as disrespecting yourself, right? When you look at yourself, mm-hmm. do you feel a sense of respect? Mm-hmm. You go, I'm really pleased with what I managed to do, right? I'm not I'm nowhere near where I want to end up, but I'm really pleased with what I what I've managed to do that, for myself. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of yeah, you know, like Yeah, I'm having this challenge right now because I, I tore my pec. Right. I had surgery six weeks ago and I can't do what I want to do. Can't so, do jujitsu, can't box. So it's not a pec do... anymore, it's a tip. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. And I find it really hard to keep my weight down. It's happening, but I'm finding yeah. it hard. So I'm 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 loving that conversation. So you can't do you respect what you've done? Right. Even yeah. though you're not where you want to be. Right. Because a lot of us spend a lot of time trying to make other people feel something about ourselves while we in the background are just giving ourselves like shit the whole time. Yeah. I'm fat. I'm overweight. My skin's bad. My hair's crap. My kind of bad teeth, bad breath. I've got this. Like, yeah. like we, we shit talk ourselves all the time. It's like, okay, well stand naked in front of a mirror and ask yourself, like, it's not like grading it per se or like, is it excellent and all the rest of it. But like, do you respect what you've created? Because you have created this, yeah. every, every part of it, right? Yeah. You've created You can that. do that with any part of your life. You can do well, it with right? any part of your life. Yeah. Right? Do I respect this? Uh, and that's... You know, Dude, it, what does respect... You'll know this. What does the word respect mean? Respect comes from the Latin, respicere. I knew it. I knew it. No, it, it, it actually means to look again, right? In, in other words, something is worth a second look. Right, you're walking down the street and you you see a person or a car, and you go, "Whoa, that that was fucking amazing." That was like you had a second look. Yeah. And most of the time, we're not we're not even really giving ourselves a good first look. Hence, the first environment, right? We haven't really looked at ourselves. Yes. But we're judging ourselves on something else, on a standard that we've never even really set. Yeah. That we don't know what it means. Yeah. Right. And it, it make it makes when you really think about it, it makes it makes no sense. Mm. Right. That that we. We have all these gauges and scales and monitors and validation points and all the rest of it, most of which we never chose. Mm-hmm. The ones that we have chose, they weren't really chosen by us. They yes. were that were like, well, I think I'm supposed to look like this or yes. weigh that or whatever, right? Yeah. So so this idea of respecting ourselves is really important. And when when I used to run the personal training studios, I I cottoned on really, really early that 
as great personal trainers as we were, like we could, and you know, we were the first guaranteed results PT in, in the country, yeah. then double your money back. I personally went all the way up to 10 times your money back, mm-hmm. then 10 times your money back and we'll continue to train you for free. And like yeah. we were that, we were that confident on what we could achieve with people. But I realized for a lot of people, it didn't matter how quickly you could get them. There's always a thing like, yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but. And so I looked and I, I thought, what is it that the people who seem to be, even if it's a temporary blip, seem to be really happy with themselves about, right? And and I modeled this off a lot of, a lot of our female clients and we had very wealthy clients. And I noticed that whenever they had a, like a mani-pedi, whenever they had their eyebrows done, whenever they had their hair done, they'd come in and they'd be bouncing and they'd be happy. So on day one, like we'd sit down, we'd take all the weights and measures and all that stuff, right? And then I'd say, right, before you see me next, I want you to I want you to kind of book your book yourself a hairdresser's appointment and and, and your nails and all all that other self grooming stuff that you normally yeah, do. Yeah, they come in. The start of their relationship with me was one where they actually felt good, mm. right? That that's that's a method of changing your changing your naked self very quickly that most people most people don't pay attention to. Like what what your current groom? Like I look like yeah, this is one of the things when you when you're suicidal. I've been right. And this is one of the things when I was seeing all these shrinks, seeing professors and shit. Um, I noticed one time that one of the questions was about grooming. I, they didn't tell me about it. I just saw them writing it down. S- appearance. Yeah. Know what I mean? Yeah. That's one of the signs that, that self-care is huge. Yeah, yeah. That's really interesting. I've never even thought about that before. Yeah. That's that's a, that's a really interesting thing to see. Yeah. I, I used to go in all the time and be like, what's, and there was an appearance button. Not a button, but an appearance box that they were ticking or they were writing shit in. Right. So why are they doing that? But now it makes sense. Your your self care is really important. I and I again I know this from being a. I'm never one of those guys who likes to get all super tied up and in. A, I'm, I promise myself I'm never going to wear a tie again unless unless I get another invitation to Buckingham Palace, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, where yeah. you have to wear a tie. But other than that. Yeah. Or, or a black a black suit kind of job. Yes. Like I'll, I'll never wear one again. Right? Yeah. It's, it's not something I want to do. Um, so it's okay to have your own standards of what what is your personal group. Uh, that's mad because right? Friday I've got a photo shoot, and we were like, should I wear a suit? And Max, like he said, and even Leslie said, no, that's not. It's not who you are. Yeah. That's not you. You'd never wear a suit. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Yeah, but that's that because you would think, oh, that's like self that's self care. I'm going to wear a suit. I'm going to wear a three piece suit, and I'm thinking, well. I'm going to wear jeans with fucking holes in them, mate. So self-care is much more important than most people realize. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because self-care is, and again, you'll probably stick your fingers down your throat when I say this, but it's kind of self-care is, is the biggest indication of self-love. Yeah, but, I agree, but now, but if we take away the, the flowery bullshitty part yeah. of love, and we actually talk about what love actually is, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a part of your brain called the anterior cingulate cortex, the mm-hmm. ACC, mm-hmm. which monitors our, are things like our relationships, our social hierarchy, yep. um, like where we stand in the hierarchy, who we're connected to, and all these kind of things. ACC, a really good way of remembering the role of ACC and what it does, because it's really the love center of the brain, you could say. ACC, acceptance, connection, and care. So we feel loved to the degree that we are accepted, that people are connected to us, and that we are experiencing a sense of care. But that sense of that sense of love, that ACC, needs to start with us. Do we accept ourselves? Well, you, again, you can't accept yourself if you don't know anything about yourself. If yep. you hide things, yep. you just can't. Yeah. Right. You can't really connect to yourself if you're pushing bits of yourself away and you're saying, "Oh, I don't want to, don't want anyone to know that part about me." And you certainly are going to see an experience of diminished care. Mm-hmm. 
right? Like you're you're not looking after yourself anymore. You're you're wearing it. You know, you're wearing the same clothes for six, seven days a week because yeah. oh, I'm just at home anyway, right? Yeah. All of those kind of things, acceptance, connection, and care, are our biggest indicator of whether whether we are giving or experiencing love. Mm. And most people are downplaying that the kind of thing thinking thinking that it's not as important as it as it is yeah, and yeah. self our self-care is actually the biggest indicator yeah, the interesting thing that you said there is all of those things are things that when i was at my lowest were things that were low right so the first part acceptance of myself wasn't happening that's why the show's called paul Mo talk shit like someone's gonna say it so it may as well be me right that was one of my biggest transformations i'm like i'm okay with being the guy that talks over people, being the loudest, being the one that needs the attention. Mm. I'm okay with that. Mm. It means that I need it less because I'm okay with it. And then there's the connection bit. I was the guy that moved to Spain and didn't know anyone there because I hated everyone. I hated people. Mm. It was me that was the problem, not anybody else. Now I love being around people. People would even call me a people person. There was a stage in my life where you know me where I was like, everyone's this, everyone's that. Let's cut out all the toxic people. No, mm-hmm. For me, I don't think it's, there's even such a thing as toxic people. There's just toxic thoughts about people. You know what right. I'm saying? That was yep. a big transformation for me. And the self-care part, I was five stone overweight, big fucking ginger beard. All that shit, got drinking, sniffing coke, smoking weed, the works. So that makes so much sense to me, mate. So yeah. thank you for that. There's there's just this tendency to downplay these environments, yeah. right? And to and to really really shrink them and think that they're not as important as they are. Yeah. Um. And then so so kind of one of the other environments then is your is your home environment, right? Yeah. So, you know, one of the stories that I tell it I tell in mind map is of a client who was working with me, and she said every day I wake up in my house depressed, like so to the point of popping pills, want to slash my wrists. Yeah. I hold a very, very high level job every day. I go to work. By the time I get to work and I walk in that place, I am beaming. I'm laughing and I'm not putting on an act. Like I, I love it. Like, and I love the people there. I'm smiling. I'm laughing. Mm-hmm. And I go home again. And I want to slash my wrists. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is going on? And I had to do a home audit. And I, I said, walk around each one of the rooms in your, in your home and, you know, look at it from a, from what, what is, if you want to call it that positive, like what you like, What's neutral? Yeah. It's like I don't feel one way or the other about it, and yeah. what's negative. And she walked through, and she said, "Well, it's uh, most of the rooms are okay. I get a negative vibe in the living room, but I'm not really sure what it is." I said, "Okay, we'll go back into the living room, and then look at every item in the living room, every every picture on the wall, every." And she worked her way through, and she came to she came to a book, and the book was she'd had, she'd gone through a really rough breakup with with a partner, mm-hmm. and inside that book was a was an inscription, "We'll love you forever. You're my everything." Like all this kind of stuff, and she said, "Well, well kind of that." And I said, "How did it make you feel when you read it?" She goes, I, uh, "I just broke down. I was in I was in bits." And I had a get rid of the book. I, I don't I don't think at first she was ready to completely get rid. She went and stuck it in the attic. Yeah. Every day she came home to live, she had, I've got a completely different experience in the living room. Again, you're you're not thinking about the book, but your brain is scanning your environment all the time. It picks up that there's a as your eyes just glance across the room, it picks up that there's a there's a book on that shelf. It knows what's in that book. Yeah. And there's part of your brain in the background computing, oh remember when you and Johnny broke up yeah. and how yeah. bad that was and yeah. how that must have made you feel. Yeah. Without that trigger there in her environment on a daily basis, she couldn't she couldn't bring herself to think about it anymore. Yeah. Right, so our environments shape our feelings. Our feelings shape our thoughts. Our thoughts shape our actions. Our actions shape our results. Yeah. And as, if you can change your environment, you can always change how you how you feel feel about it. Yeah. Right, and that's that's the that's the kind of the the missing ingredient I think in most people's approaches to. Yeah. And that's such a simple thing. 
So simple. It's such a simple thing. Like we, we even in our office, we have our values on the wall. Should be something that one can remember. We have them on the wall. We have our mission on the wall. We have our what we're aiming for this year on the wall. All the any awards that we've won are on the wall. Do you know what I mean? I think mm. that's so. I mean, this is a lovely environment. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's like it's such a it's a simple thing to do, and I even don't think it has anything to do with money. You, I, I can hear somebody right now saying, "Oh, well, it's all right for you. You've got money." Mm. But it's nothing to do with that, really, is it? No. No, you've, you know, there, there's a point where each of us would like more stuff, but it's, it's not usually, to be honest, it's not usually the stuff we add to our environment that makes it better. It's the stuff we remove from it, right? So, like, if you know, if there's a there's a big dog turd sat in a, sat in the middle of your living room carpet, right? It doesn't matter how well decorated your house is, <laughs> right? You're going to have a negative experience of your living room yes. until that turd is taken away, yes. right? It's the same thing. If you've got things in your environment that are constantly triggering you into a negative experience, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how many new sofas you buy, how much bigger the next TV screen is going to be, how expensive the ornaments are or the artwork on the wall. It don't don't matter. Like if you've got things in your environment that that are making your experience and feelings negative, that's the most important factor. What about if it's a person? If it's a person, you need to be honest with, with yourself about. Like the the thing is not about whether you can get them to change, but whether you can change how you feel about them. Yes, right. That's yeah. It, it's a difficult one. What kind like, of tool would you use around that? I mean, I've got a bunch that, but I'm interested in because me and you never really talk about yeah. this because we're both coaches with some different approaches. Mm-hmm. That wasn't supposed how to. Ma- rhyme. How many rhymes? Like fucking Eminem. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> fucking Jordy Eminem. Come on. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. <laughs> um. Well, a big part is actually kind of. Again, it always Mate, starts. Do you think we talked about that acceptance thing before, right? And we talked about that connection thing before. Do you? And this is one million percent the case for me. Do you think when you are able to accept those parts about you that you might not like so much, those parts about you that might be bad traits, do you think when you can do that with yourself, you become more accepting of other people? Yeah, absolutely. Because we're all, we're all hypocrites, right? Yeah. The things that piss us off the most, the things that upset us most in other people. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I would have a client that would turn up to me late for their sessions all the time, raging because of the client that turned up late to their session that made them late <laughs> to my session, right? <laughs> uh, right? Morning, morning about people morning. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, but, but like the exact same, the exact same traits, the exact same patterns, the exact same habits mm-hmm. that are triggering them and pissing them off are yeah. usually the ones that they've got. Right, and I know that's true for me. Like, I'm yeah. I'm not going to be a hypocrite about it. The things that things that I judge people for, I'm like, yeah. you you know, you're you do that, and you do that quite a lot. And that used to be me with things like lying. Yeah, people working all the time, fat people. Honestly, exactly. I used to. I remember I, I, anything. It's usually anything that I've mocked. Yeah. At some point, I've done it because I don't understand it, or because I'm almost like I don't. I'd like to be like that. Yeah. I used to, I remember I used to take the, I used to hammer people for things like fucking Zumba and I used to slate, this was my game, slating all these diets, slating, I'm, I'm trying to think of some other things that I've marked, people working out on holiday, I'm like, you're on holiday, man. Now I'm like, I'm fucking, I'm certainly getting a workout on holiday, I want to yeah. be pumped around the pool. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's an interesting thing, isn't it? And I, and I think that relationships especially will almost put a, f- like close relationships will put a magnifying glass 
Like, it's like it'll get amplified. All them things that you don't like about yourself, you'll certainly be able to point them out in the people that are closest yeah, to you. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's even worse because you you have you have more intimate right. information. It's right, right on top of you. It's yeah. right on top of you. You, you, yeah. have, you have all the detail to back it up. It's yeah. not like a general yeah. a general slagging someone off in the street. It's yes. like, no, it's very specific. Yeah. Right? And it's in your face. Yeah. 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 It's mad, that. Yeah. So, so listen, one thing I want to ask you about, it's completely off topic. But I wanted to ask you about it because we've never had this discussion as well. And there's a reason why I wanted you to send me that, the post, the things you didn't know about me. Do you know what? That has been on my to-do list for me to do that for about five years. I just hung around with it because <laughs> I don't write much anymore. Mm. I don't write much anymore. But I'm going to do it. And there's one thing in there that you told me that I've seen numerous times. I've never asked you about it. Either because I wasn't brave enough or I just get, didn't get the opportunity. Talk me about this thing with your dad when you were a kid. Ah, right. Me, me, so, me, so, me, oh, ah, okay. me, me being. You're open to talking about Yeah, yeah, right? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, basically at the age of, age of 15, yeah. um, I stabbed my, stabbed my dad through the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, that's the short story of yeah. it. The, the long story is, um, violent, extreme violent alcoholic, you know, put, put my mum in hospital multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of re- a really volatile man. He was kind of, he was a, he was a, from a different different age, different time. He spent a lot of his time in prison. He was a effectively a Glaswegian gangster. Yeah, um, kind of like He's pro- Glaswegian a proper a proper gangster as well. He's Glaswegian, like, yeah, really. Um, you know, kind of robbing trucks and post offices and banks and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, yeah. kind of in, in that side of thing, and it was really really volatile. Mm-hmm. Um, you never really knew where you stood with him, but. Yeah. My entire life, right? So he, he was—he wasn't my real dad. He was my stepdad. He came into our life when I was about five or six. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd kind of seen seen and experienced, been at the hands of like these really violent beatings and mm-hmm. kind of really, really kind of a uh, vicious, like yeah. proper vicious. Yeah. Um, anyway, one night I'm 15 years old. I'd been a I'd been an army cadet. I'd been a boxer and an army cadet from age 12. Yeah. Um, and I had all this, you know, kind of stuff from the cadets. I'd go hunting at weekends and live in the field and all that. So, yeah. um, and I'm, I'm laying in bed and I hear, I hear my mum screaming and it was, it wasn't their usual fighting and she's been hit. It was like a proper, proper, proper scream, like deadly. Yeah. Um, and the next thing I know I've run in the living room, I've punched him mm-hmm. and he's collapsed to the floor and it turns out it wasn't a punch. It was a, I had my, I had a six inch hunting dagger and I'd punched it straight into his heart. Yeah. Um, it was me that, me that kept him alive till the paramedics came. Um, I was charged with attempted murder. I was Mm -hmm. basically the, the police were, were going to pray, even though they said they were kind of understanding on my side and all the rest of it was still a crime. I was going to, going to go to prison. And it was only really the fact that he came from that old school gangster ilk that he wouldn't press charges and he wouldn't, he wouldn't give any details as to what happened. So yeah. the police kinda, case, I'm not a grass. Yeah. The police yeah. case crumbled, but yeah, I was yeah. 15 years old and that changed your life or not. Would you say that changed your life? Um, it did because I, I left school. Um, I was, I was a smart kid in school. I wasn't a complete nerd, but I was like, in all this, we were in the last, the last year of like, uh, CSEs and O levels. And so we had that crossover year with the GCSEs and I was an O level group on everything. Yeah. Um, and, but I dropped out of school from that. And then basically I, I, I lived with my grandma for a while cause I wasn't allowed home. Um, and then I, I went to live in the, uh, in the Brecon Beacons in Wales for six months by myself, living off the land. And fuck hunt, off. Hunting. Hang on a fucking second. <laughs> Hold on a second. How, mate, that really happened. Yeah, yeah. I've never heard you say that, yeah. but I'm so glad I asked this question. Yeah. Was, so what the fuck were you doing, mate? Hold on. Hunting, trapping, 
living Jesus. off the lap. Basically, I was getting... You I were was, like the first original Bear grill. <laughs> well, because I, I, I joined the Junior Leaders Parachute Regiment at the age of 16. Right. Um, and basically, I, I just thought... if. I don't really want it. My, my nan was lovely, but she lived in a little one bedroom place and yeah. she was really old and yeah. I didn't want to be a burden to her. Yeah. I wasn't allowed to go home. Yeah. I knew that my, if, if I didn't get brother convicted. brother's still there. Yeah. I was still at home. Yeah. Um, I knew that if I didn't get convicted, cause it was still up in the air, like yeah. I could, I could be convicted for yeah. attempted murder. Um, but I knew if I didn't get convicted, then my selection into the paras was still valid. Yes. And I knew what the start date was going to be. So I just went, well, fuck it. I'll, I'll go to, I'll go to Wells and I'll spend every day running up and down mountains, getting ready for. So you've done that penny fan thing. I've done it Dude, that's loads naughty. of times. I've lived on penny fan. That's fans. naughty, <laughs> Um, isn't that naughty? Yeah, that's but I mean, I, I I lived at Story Arms for a little while in the forest at the foot of it, really? and I, I would I would go up every day, sometimes twice a day. That's mad. Um, and then then I'd move to another part of Wales, and I'd kind of live in a forest for a while, then I'd come back and run the mountains again. <laughs> Bro, and I was po- poaching salmon out of the rivers. And no way. Catching hedgehogs and things like that in snares and, and rabbits them. and foxes and Jesus river rats and all kinds of stuff. That's so. mad. So yeah, it was a, it was a mad time. So a, you could say that incident did change your life. It, it did, yeah. Was the army the only option? Was that the only option that you thought about? I'd or? always wanted to. My my granddad was was kind of in in the forces in World yeah. War Two, like yeah. a lot of our grandparents were. Yeah, um, and he he just well uh, enabled me to the. I'm idea, not as old so. as you, so not me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, he he just switched me on to the idea. I really really wanted to be a soldier yeah. at the time. Um, wanted to be a para more than anything else. Yeah. Um, cause he'd been, he'd been airborne and had kind of had served with, uh, or uh, kind of what we thought was the SAS. I think he was, a ter- he was served with a unit that was attached to the SAS in yeah. World War II. Um, yeah. So kind of, I was just enamored by that idea and, you know, kind of that was, that took over, took over my mind. So it'd be yeah. kind of, that, that was the route, uh, route I took. And it just made a lot of sense to me that, you know, instead of living in a, sleeping on the sofa of my nan's house, I might as well be in the mountains getting ready for. Getting ready for that's the fucking amazing, company. dude. I love that. I can't believe I've just <laughs> 15 years after I met him, I've just found out you lived in the Brecon Beacons. Yeah. That's phenomenal, mate. Um, one thing that you mentioned, it wasn't in me questions, but I want to talk about it anyway. Shrooms, yeah, what's that vibe? Uh, um, yeah, where did that happen? When did that happen? How did it affect you? So, I I first had like because you know, I'm in, I'm in my 50s, I was mid 40s the first time I ever even had weed, right? Mm. So, booze was my poison of choice, that was yeah. like most of us, you know. Um, Dude, I got tagged in a memory a while ago where we knew we were booze together. I think yeah. You, you, we were so drunk, you were picking me nose for it. <laughs> oh, no, it was, it was, it was yeah. nice. <laughs> it was nice. Very was nice. nice. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, kind of like, so the, the weed gave a different experience, but not, it wasn't positive, it wasn't negative. Yeah. It was just like, oh, it's a different kind of thing. I wasn't yeah. that. Yeah, that on it. But I'd been really thinking about the ayahuasca thing for a while. There's a solution in the PDS. P- that's yeah, why I asked for, you for the PTSD. That's why I asked you about. Um, it, yeah. And basically, as a stepping stone to that, kind of a few years ago, three years ago now, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Went to went to Amsterdam. I like I didn't want to get myself in trouble over here, so I went to Amsterdam where shrooms. Shrooms had already. Did you go to a special clinic, or did you go? No, no I just. Did you just go to a cafe? Yeah, just one of the one of the shops. But see, you can't buy shrooms in Amsterdam anyway. Even shrooms are uh, legal in Amsterdam to buy our shrooms, so okay. you can only get the uh, truffles, okay. or you can get shroom kits, right? So you okay. can grow your own, but you can't buy shrooms there anymore. That's mad. So you just had truffles. I, I had I had these truffles and just kind of. <laughs> did you go on your own? Uh, no, Athena came with me, so she's. Did you have truffles? No, she babysat me while I. Oh while my I did it, god! So she was making sure I was okay. So you basically 
got the truffles. Did you go in a hotel room or were you sat in it? A- yeah, no, well, we had an Airbnb, yeah. And just, right. Yeah, it, it was it was cool. It wasn't it wasn't the full psychedelic, but it, it joined- I've taken a lot of drugs in my time and I've never had shrooms. Yeah. Yeah. I well, I mean, I, I've, he's the, you're I've, the second person that's mentioned. I've them, had them a few times now, and they're, they're yeah. like literally. What, are the, what is what's the whole thing like? There's no fucking. I'm like, oh, what if I have a fucking? What if I panic? So, it's a bit like uh, we've already been discussing. It's all about the environment. So you set your environment up before you before you go into. It. And I will normally spend about an hour in part meditation, part deep thought, where I'm just saying, what do I want to get out of? Cause I, I'm I'm not person I'm not interested in just tripping for the sake of tripping, right? Yeah. So for me it was like, like there there was a reason to do it. Yeah. So if I'm gonna get the most out of it, set myself up for it. Like the questions I was asking, I, I'd have a notebook, I, I keep a trip journal. You should see the trip journal starts out with this. It's not like my handwriting is neat neat at the best of times, but it starts yeah. out legible and it ends up the letters are about this big and Is it? <laughs> oh, amazing. And you've drew a unicorn. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But but the biggest thing I, I get out of it is um just just it's awareness um it joins dots in your brains like because it kind of frees you up from we we often think in blockaded thinking and blockaded thinking is all the yeah buts and if onlys and mm-hmm. right so you start a thought process could do that yeah but and you've got this and what if and what what i found shrooms do for do for me is that they remove the blockades and you can just have the thought and fo- keep following the thought through to wherever it ends up. Yeah. And sometimes it's ridiculous, right? It's just, a, you know, but a lot of the time, and particularly if you do keep like a trip journal, it's so like I, I go back and I read, I read my trip journal and go, shit, there's a lot of really, really good stuff there. Yeah. And I've always found that like my, the best coaching I've ever received has been from me, but not directly like sitting here, just asking myself questions. You, you, there's one layer of it yeah. but very often i'll i'll throw things into a notebook and i'll open that notebook up three years later and i go that's the exact piece of advice i need today yeah like it's like there's a version of me historically time, that... i think your journal is the best book you'll ever read yeah like yeah. everyone what, what, you think about this popular book i've been talking about this a lot the daily stoic everyone's loved that book i'm like you're just reading someone else's journal yeah like, imagine if you did that yourself every day learning about yourself marcus aurelius like yeah. what makes stuff. you tick what makes you tick? Why? What you value? What you don't value? What you did well? What you could have done better? Like, I'm like, that's the best book you'll ever read, and so many people don't do it. So I've got two questions for you. One: When are we going to Amsterdam? <laughs> whenever you, whenever. Hey, if there's one whenever... person that I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna commit to this right now because it's something I've all been interested in. Is I'm gonna. Are you coming? Maybe. Producer Max just said he's in. Let's do it. If there's two people I'd like to have a little trip with, it'll be you two. Yeah. Now we've just got to sell Leslie on it. <laughs> yeah, who wants to do... I could close Leslie on this, I'm sure. She might want to come. She might want to come. All right, let's... let's... Dina's been awesome about it. She's seen every time I've done it. Yeah. Like, And it's not like... One of the great things about tripping, for example, with shrooms, it's not saying you could you couldn't have them today and then take them tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. You Because it's not that it does something to you directly. It uses up your your body's supply of serotonin, right? And that doesn't replete itself within 24 hours. It takes a while for that to come back. So if you took, you can't get addicted to shrooms and you can't have, you can't go, oh, I'm going to go on a four-day bender of shrooms. It doesn't work that way. So like... She's um, you're selling it. Keep talking. <laughs> so so it, would, it would be like the be- probably at least a month before you would have them again, right? Mm-hmm. And very often it's it's kind of better the longer you leave it. So I've, I've done it, you know, probably uh, three times a year. Jeez, all right, all right, I'm in. I would probably do it. I'm in. And it doesn't cost loads of money? No, not at all. 
Oh my god! Oh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make you fat. It's, it's cheap. It's cheaper. <laughs> it doesn't make you fat. It doesn't make you fat. No. You don't get munchies. <laughs> nope. Amazing. No, no, no. Oh wow! I yeah, am it's... in on this thing. Yeah. Yeah. My friend Darren was in earlier on, and he's never done drugs in his life. He's like twenty-eight or something now, and he uh, he did them for the first time in Australia last month, and he said it was amazing. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's you've just pushed it over the line. All you've got to ask yourself is is like the value of any drug does it bring you closer to who you want to know yourself as or or further away right the trouble like i i like a bit of bit of booze but very often very often booze makes me someone that i don't really feel proud of and that i don't really respect right so there's a balance point because i could yeah. be a, i could be a bit of a i'm a bit of an all or nothing personality when it comes to booze mm-hmm. right yeah, so me too. Um, me too i'd never ever have a pint i haven't had a pint of beer since 2019 right and yeah, I mean, if I open a bottle of wine tonight and no one else is drinking, I'm drinking the whole bottle of wine, yes. right? So I'm not, I, I don't moderate very well. Yes. So I'm better off, which is why I'm at, these days, it's kind of like, I, I do still drink, but I choose the day that I'm going to drink. I know what I'm drinking in advance yep. and I try and stick to what I said I was, yes. was going to do. Like, yes. a, But it's never a case of like open a bottle and see where it goes because yeah. I know where it's going to go. Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I almost want to check my phone to see if we can solve it. Right? <laughs> okay, last question. How important is journaling? It's pretty much the most one of the most important things you can do. I agree. Um, Why? And the, and the reason I say one of, because obviously journaling is the place where you put your thoughts. So the most important thing you can do is have the thoughts, right? But, <laughs> but, but journaling is the place where you put them, right? Yeah. Um, I know that's really plain obvious, but like, you know, a lot of people talk about journaling being the most important thing. And it's, 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 it's important to the degree that it gives you the space to be truthful with yourself, which is the core of all personal transition. Um, but it also gives you the ability to come back to come back to that truth in different states of being, right? So the, the who you are when you wrote it, when you when you read that back like two days later when you're having a pissy fit, you kind of you're, you're different, right? And it's comparing it's like when you get those memories on Facebook, you're like, fucking hell, what was that? Right. Thing? What was I wearing? <laughs> and it, it it just gives you the ability to record who you were at a moment in time, but then keep coming back to: Did that serve me? Was that skillful? Do I want to be him again? Yeah. Or and so who? How did I get to be the guy who wrote that? Yeah. Right. And we can ask the same questions about like when we're writing shitty things or things we're embarrassed or yeah. ashamed of. Right. We go: yeah. How did I get to be the guy who wrote that? Yeah. Right. What What did I What did I do to it become didn't him? by accident? Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We created it. Yeah. And we don't we don't like to admit it because it means that we have to take responsibility before responsibility So if you if you were to answer this question because I get asked all the time, uh, where do you start with journaling? Apart from at the start. <laughs> yeah. Where do you um, start? Page 1. <laughs> <laughs> Once you filled in the bit that this journal belongs to, yeah. How am I feeling today? Or how am I feeling right now? Yeah. That's where I always start, right? Yeah. Because that then leads to the natural cascade. Why? Yeah. Like what led me to this? Yeah. Kind of like we can we can start the investigative process from the how am I feeling right now? Yeah. Pissed off. Why are you feeling pissed off? Yeah. Because no one's bought. I put fifty posts out, and no one's bought any of my any of my yeah. stuff. Yeah. Right. Kind of. Well, why is that? And we can start to explore. Yeah. And I start with a very similar question. It's kind of like how do I want to feel? Right. How do I want to feel? Right. Why? Very. Very, very similar, right? Yeah. Kind of two ways to get to the same. Yeah. How do I want to feel? Why am I not feeling like that right now? Yeah, yes, right? nice. Kind of that's that when I when I'm kind of doing that, that's what my follow up question is. Yeah, like, yeah. I think the challenge that a lot of people have with this is, and it was certainly the case for me when I first started looking at journaling, was that when I was rock bottom, they tried to get me to keep a mood diary, and I'm like 
to remind myself how shit I'm feeling because I kept doing it and that's yeah. all I got how do you feel today but there was no what's next yeah on the on the temple of Apollo Delphi know thyself right <laughs> kind of that's the that's the, fir- that's the big rule of life mm-hmm. my guru project I take I take that further like the, the logo on guru project is know yourself grow yourself show yourself mm-hmm. right so we show up in the world to the degree that we have grown ourselves mm-hmm. right and we can only truly have a handle on how we've grown ourselves if we truly know ourselves. Mm. Most people are trying to show up as something different, right? Kind of, we're trying to do the end part first. I like, how, how do I want people to see me? Yes. Right? Yes. But the question is, have I grown into that kind of person who can stand in that frame mm. and actually really be that, right? Yes. And I, I always described there was a year, year that I was a dick, right? The year of being a dick, which was, mm. you know, I'd been in all the magazines, all the papers, the radios. I was acknowledged as the highest paid trainer. Everyone was coming to my stuff. And I just bought into this, the facade part of me, the public persona and, you know, kind of, uh, and I was, it was a year I was a dick, even to my own family, mm. right? I was the big I am. I was, and just like, oh, well, there's something, I eventually realized that how I'm showing myself isn't isn't kind of who I really want to know myself as yes. what growth hasn't taken place here. I had a huge growth in money and public accolade and all of these kind of things. I didn't have a growth in being the person who could wear that. Well, yes, mate, that's exactly, right? that was exactly me. Right. That was exactly me. I, I'm kind of like, I'm everything else grew. And the only other part of me that grew is my fucking waistline. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. You know what I'm saying? Mate, Dax Moy. Mate, it's been a fucking pleasure. Where can everyone squirrel and come and find you to find out? Because more people need to know what you do, mate. I've said well, it. I've I, been saying it a long time. That's why I wanted you on. I have a truly unique name, as in there's only one Dax Moy in There's only Google, one Dax right? Moy. There's <laughs> so only one Dax If you Google Dax Moy, you will find me easily. But yeah. DaxMoy.com, MindMapCoach.com. Um, and numerous other places to, far Sick. too many to list but. Sick. my man I've absolutely loved talking to you thank you so yeah, much same man mate, brilliant mate thank you so much <laughs> thank you so much that was class